this is a follow-up going into more detail from retirement investing episode three, the one before this one. And so in that one, I listed out the investment principles that that guide my decision-making uh, process. And, and this goes into more details. But you got to remember, the core of the investing process is what's called um, asset allocation, right? That's the major driver of returns. Think of that like the engine, right? The engine is going to, for the most part, and I'm not a car person, so I may technically misstate this, but it's, uh, so you supercar buffs, like just leave it alone and go with the flow. The point is uh, the engine is, is what's going to determine how fast the car drives for the most part. Asset allocation is the same thing, you know, how much you have and which asset classes. A lot of people think that it's, um, you know, you become a great investor by picking, um, you know, the best stocks. But that's that the research shows that's not true. It's are you in the asset classes? So, you know, if you were investing in tech stocks, um, even even some of the best names from 2000 to 2009, uh, you didn't do as well because tech stocks as a whole sucked. Um, but if but but uh, if you were invested in emerging markets over that period of time in a diversified way, so you were in the right asset class, um, then you likely did really really well because you got the asset class um, set up appropriately, right? So asset allocation is the major driver. Uh, of returns, right? And we can write a whole book on all the different major asset classes, but I want to um, I want to keep it simple because um, you know we we we, we want to think about retirement investing, which is long term investing. It's not trying to you know it's not the same as investing in a private equity or investing in a hedge fund or investing in real estate or your own business, which is which are what I call home run buckets where you can potentially make a lot. And potentially lose a lot. Retirement is um, long-term investing for replacing your income one day down the road. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's one of the three buckets. You know, you ought to have, which is, you know, first bucket being uh, emergency safety net type bucket. Uh, your home run bucket is if you want to try to shoot for home runs. That's one bucket. But retirement bucket is really the next step for for most investors of what they ought to do uh, for the long term, right? So. So I'm going to talk about the asset classes that are used to, to, to build a, a very, you know, a well-diversified um, portfolio for the retirement bucket. More simple, not as technical, um, but needed for a retirement portfolio. So, and, and, and most institutions, uh, wealth management companies, pension plan, pension funds, mutual fund companies, um, financial advisors, a lot of them use a research company called Morningstar um, to evaluate portfolios. So the asset classes that I'm really using are the asset classes that Morningstar uses. because that's what you'll see if, if you have somebody compare a portfolio. Most likely, you're going to see a Morningstar report that carves the different asset classes up into these asset classes, right? So first is going to be, it breaks it up by size. So you have large cap stocks. Uh, mid-cap stocks and small-cap stocks. And if you want to know what these mean, um, I wrote a blog post on LinkedIn um, titled Portfolio Management Principles Part 1. And in that 
blog post, there's links to um, definitions via Investopedia, or you can just go to Google, type these in, type these in with Investopedia, and it will pull up the Investopedia page to the definitions, and you can go deeper. But you got size, large cap, mid cap, small cap stocks. Then it's broken into style, right? Value, blend, and growth, right? And blend is just a, you know, blend is a combination of value and growth. Um, then when you, when you look at the bond part of your portfolio, you can break the bonds up into um, interest, how, how sensitive the bonds are to interest rates. So interest rate sensitivity, it can be limited, moderate, or extensive. And then the other way you break the bonds up is by uh, credit quality, kind of like a credit score, high, medium, low, right? And then the third breakdown for asset classes that I use is specialty, right? That's precious metals um, like gold, silver, palladium, and then commodities, corn, wheat, um, all that, all that kind of stuff. So those are the major asset classes when you're thinking about uh, building a um, well-diversified long-term retirement portfolio. Um, and, and, you know, those are the asset class that I like to think about that you want to have um, to be uh, well diversified. So going back to asset allocation, you can look at multiple time frames, um, you know, uh, multiple in history and different markets in different countries. And the biggest driver of return comes to how much of your money is in one of those asset classes over, over a period of time and, and getting that right is more important and let me do a caveat because you know one of my principles is about diversification um you you can make you know you can make more money the more money you have in the asset class but if you're wrong you'll also um underperform or or, or you know or lose more money so the goal isn't to try to pick one or two asset classes you want to be diversified you want to have your money in um you know, just about all of them, but you, you, you may want to think about, Hey, how do I put, you know, more money than average in the one. Right. So if you say, Hey, I'm blind. I don't know which one to pick. Let me kind of divide it up and make it even among all, all the asset classes. That's one way to go. But if you say, Hey, through my analysis, which we'll go into in a second, I think over the next 10 years, the better asset class to be in or have, or have the more money in is this one, right. Then you could potentially, um, improve your returns over time. Going back to the 2000 or 2009 example, U.S. stocks um, underperformed relative to emerging market stocks, right? And through careful analysis, if you said, hey, I think this is going to be true, and if you looked at it in 2009, then you positioned to where you just had more money in emerging markets than U.S., and it wasn't just split uh, even, then you potentially could have outperformed um, and, and looking at the back data, you know, looking at the broad uh, indexes of both, right? You you would have outperformed um, using the emerging market um, basket of stocks versus the U.S. basket of stocks because if if, if you have more money than than just splitting it up between the two, right? So asset allocation is important. I'm gonna keep drilling that in just just so you know. But let me go back to it. So people are saying, okay, Philip, I get it. Asset allocation is important. Those are the different asset classes, right? Okay, how do I determine how much money goes into which asset class? And that is the most important part. And that is the art, uh, the secret sauce. And just like uh, master chefs are not gonna give away 
the secret ingredients that makes them money. No wise investment manager is going to give you um, their entire process for how they how they make those decisions. What I can tell you is what to look at, right? And you want to do your own research, build your own system, build your own process, do the work, right? Because even cause side note, even if somebody did give you what their decision making process is, you still have to follow it, and it's and it's really easy to second guess a system if you have not done the research uh, from the ground up to build the system um, yourself and understand why it works the way it works. Because there is no perfect system, right? There's no system that's going to help you make money every single month and make a lot of money every single month. Like this, this uh, I don't, I don't know of it, right? So every system is going to have flaws, and you need to be able to stick with the flaws in the hard time to to continue to move it through. I kind of I kind of call it I I call it the um you know the Houston Rockets complex, right? So a couple of years ago to my devastation the Houston Rockets lost in the Western Finals to Golden State and in the final game they missed something like 27 threes in a row and everybody was going, "Well, man, why did they shoot so many threes? They should have just abandoned that strategy once they were at number 10." And I'm, and I'm like, but do you know their stats? Like, they were shooting pretty close to 40% as a team for threes for the year. That's how they, that's how they got where they were. You know, they're a well above average three-point shooting team. That's their strategy. And, and so the, the, the probability of them missing or the odds of them missing 27 in a row is, like, really, really low. So if, they did, if that happened, it, it just wasn't their game. Like, you're not going to abandon strategy and the strategy not working. That's how you win. And they ended up following up the same strategy for the second year and were contenders again. Uh, um, third year are still a pretty good team. So you don't abandon strategy because of your strategy doesn't work. You look at the odds, and if your system is sound, right, keep executing um, over time. So let's go back to uh, what you want to look at. Um, uh, what, what things you want to look at for, for, for getting the asset allocation right. First thing you want to understand is uh, the economic. So if asset allocation is the major driver of returns, economic environment is the major driver of which asset classes outperform and underperform. So I'm going to simplify the economic environments too, right? You basically have a situation where the global economy is expanding and inflation is falling. The global economy is expanding and inflation is rising, and the global economy is in recession. Now, keep in mind that in many times, if not most of the time, different economies are in recession or and or expanding at different times. So this is not a country per country thing. When I'm looking to build a portfolio, I'm looking at global uh, global trends to, to to build my system around. Um, so. The global economic trend is what I like to focus on and what I'm referencing uh, in this podcast episodes. And so these are the different asset classes that do well during the different economic environments, or we can call them trends. I'll use those interchangeably. So when the global economy is expanding and inflation is falling, uh, typically large stocks, large cap stocks have done well, growth stocks have done well, bonds have done well. Uh, and specifically within the bonds, bonds with high credit quality, and uh, interest rate sensitivity that's extensive. So they are very sensitive to interest rate uh, movements. Um, the global economy, um, 
when the global economy is expanding and inflation is rising, so environment two, small cap stocks have historically done well, value stocks have historically done well, precious metals and commodities have historically done well. Uh, trend three, or economic environment number three, the global economy is in recession. In that environment, uh, bonds with high credit quality have done well, um, and amongst you know just about every interest sensitivity, um, they've they've done well at all. Uh, but you want to have high quality um, high quality bonds in that environment. But you know companies that uh, have good credit ratings. And so those are three environments in which asset classes have historically done well, right? And you can go back, do your research, look at it, and that'll kind of build the, a foundation for the trust um, of your system. But in my research and research I've studied from other advisors, those are the asset classes that do well in a different environment. So you've got the first layer, asset allocation. Second layer, um, economic environment drives asset uh, returns, and these are the assets that do well in different economic environments uh, for the most part. Um, and so now you want to say, okay, how do I determine which economic environment we are currently in, right? And I, and I use that word choice uh, very intentionally. I didn't say which economic environment we're going to be in. I said you need to determine which, which economic environment we're in. Just like when you go to a carnival or some fair and you see somebody reading cards, not, you know, telling a fortune teller and people think, oh man, that's kind of crazy. Do people pay people for that? Well, on the reverse, they'll watch CNBC or ask their financial advisor or some market guru that says they can predict the future, right? But nobody that I know of has ever been able to consistently predict the future. And you don't need to, to make money in the markets, right? The best investors that we all know of, none, you know, they, I'm talking about like not these people that are selling courses because they're not the best right? Because um, if they were, um, they would raise money and make lots more money managing money if they were, and, and give away their information for free if they really want to share the information. But those aren't the best. Those are just people that like to profit, for the most part, off of selling courses. But go look at the billionaires and then research them, and you won't hear any of them saying, we can predict the future, because you don't have to. All you have to do is think, think of economic trends like seasons, right? To be dressed appropriately today and for the season, you don't have to predict what the weather's gonna be on January 8th, 2020. You just have to say, hey, um, is it getting colder, right? It's, it's, it's December now and it's cold outside right now. And it's been, the trend has been getting colder. So you know, I need to buy some more sweaters and jackets if I'm gonna be prepared uh, for the winter. Right, you don't have to, um, um, you know, predict in August what the weather's going to be like on, you know, December second. You just have to, you know, like go, keep going outside, checking the weather, and as it continues to get colder, you know, we we feel okay. The trend is getting colder. It's time to pull out the sweaters and jackets and all that, and dress appropriately. Markets are the same way, right? You can analyze different details, pick up on the trend and then just dress appropriately. And my research shows that that helps you put, build a portfolio and allocate your assets appropriately, right? Remember before I keep using 2000 to 2009, I'm using it on purpose so I can go to the same one. I don't wanna use different time frames, but I can use different time frames. 
but the emerging markets and value stocks and small cap stocks over that period of time because it was an economic environment of right of um, um, global growth but rising inflation right during that period of time those asset classes did well for multi years right you didn't have to predict you know they started relatively doing better and you know okay here's a trend and you got multi years of um, of making money relative to the asset classes that do well in the other environments and so um, what, you know, what are some factors? And there's lots of factors, right? And this is why I call it art. I'm going to give you four of the main ones that I like to look at um, that, that, that build the core uh, of the decision making process for my asset allocation decisions. But there's lots of them. And this is where you're going to have to go do independent study. You know, Warren Buffett used different ones than Ray Dalio, right? Ray Dalio used different ones than uh, Paul Tudor Jones. Paul Tudor Jones used different ones than Stanley Druckenmiller. And some people are going, who are these people? Like they're billionaire investors um, that, that have made money for markets for multiple decades, um, multiple market cycles. And the, per the point is there isn't one way to analyze um, this stuff to make it make sense, but you just want to do enough research to make sure the odds are in your favor. And just like different types of teams that run different offenses and defensive win, you know, same, same, same rule applies in investing. So these are four of mine for me that I've researched that I use for, for, for my system. And maybe it helps you start thinking about thinking, thinking about yours. All right. But first one is the global trade trend. So um, if global trade is becoming basically friendly, if nations are becoming friendly, friendlier and deals are doing deals and, money and business is able to move across borders around the world uh, relatively easier, um, then that dictates, uh, that's gonna be one factor into which economic environment we're in, right? Is it, is it or if it's combative, right? That, that's, not, that's an input. So if, it's, if global trade is co co cooperative or combative, that's one input, right? And, and, that, and that input doesn't always mean the same thing, right? So, you know, sometimes it could be, great for U.S. stocks. Sometimes it can be great for emerging market stocks, right? There's a lot of other factors, so you can't use that one as a standalone, but it's something you definitely want to pay attention, um, pay attention to. Um, valuations, right? How relatively expensive or cheap are, are stocks, right? And specifically, I like to look at U.S. stocks, international stocks. So international development stocks, actually, and that's going to be, think of like Japan, U.K., the Eurozone, right? Old established countries, <clears throat> uh, not the new emerging countries, right? But the third category is the new emerging market. So that's going to be China, Brazil, India, you know, Africa's coming into play uh, right now. But how are stocks um, valuations, right? Cheap, expensive, relative to each other. And that's one input. Again, I don't like to look at that in a silo, but it's one input that I look at. Central bank policy, right? Central bank policy, for the most part, uh, dictates um, the price of money, right? What are, you know, if you want to borrow money, um, there's a price to it and the interest rate is that price. And so they're able to manipulate uh, short-term interest rates, central banks. So is a central bank policy easy or tight? Are they letting more money flow into the economies? Or are they sucking money out through tight monetary policy? So that, again, that's a really important, that's one of the most important inputs, but it's tough to do standalone. And then, how are the different asset classes moving in relationship 
uh, to each other. So actually looking, when you look at market indexes, so that's like the S&P 500, the Dow, um, the MSCI, ACWI, which is a global uh, index, the MSCI, Emerging Markets Index, right? These are all major indexes that track the stock markets of different um, uh, countries and uh, regions. Um, and so those are important to pay attention to, to see how they're moving in relation to each other. And I use those four components to build a system that allows me to determine where I allocate assets. And, it, and when I look back at the historical, if I say, hey, let me the cool part about computers is you can take your decision-making process, you can feed it to a computer, and you can look at it during multiple time frames and say, hey, would this decision-making process have worked from 2000 to 2009? Or would it have worked from 1982 to 2000? And when I say worked, does it accurately pick up the trend, right? One of those three trends. Does it, actually, does it uh, accurately pick it up? And, and, and does it allow me to um, relatively outperform um, just, you know, putting equal amounts of money in every asset class? Um, and so my system, based on my research, has fulfilled, um, you know, what I need to feel like it's a good system. Um, but you have to do your own research, your own study. But these are four things to look at, start digging deep into. Um, now, you know, um, when, when you get here, you, there's um, computer systems you can pay for. I, I spend quite a bit of money on being able to look at historic returns help me with valuation uh, research. Um, it's, you know, one of the big, biggest benefits of, or, or you know, one of the so resources that a wealth management firm like mine does is, you know, my clients, whether it's a business that has a 401k plan or an individual that has an IRA or retirement account that needs me to help them build investment, build and manage an investment portfolio, they're, they're paying me basically for that research. They're saying, hey, look, I don't want to, A, analyze all that. I don't want to, uh, and I don't want to spend the thousands of dollars it takes to um, stay on top of that research and do the research. I'd rather just hire somebody to implement a consistent process for me, right? That's, that's what I do. I like to call myself the Bill Belichick or Nick Saban of investing, right? It's a process. It's, hey, you need a process. There's no perfect process. I'm not trying to knock out the park like a home run bucket or a hedge fund would. I'm trying to build a, a solid well-defined, well-disciplined, well-diversified investment process for retirement accounts for people that one day want to be in a position to work because they want to, not because they have to, or allow their employees through a 401k plan um, to do that. And this is the process that allows me to, um, to do that for clients. I hope it helps. As, as always, this is not meant to be uh, investment advice. This is for informational and educational purposes only. Investing involves risk. There's no guarantees unless otherwise stated. You need to make sure to seek your own counsel before making investment decisions because, um, again, investing involves uh, risk. Um, Y'all in, in Philip Washington, Chief Investment Officer of Stonehill Wealth Management, a registered investment advisory firm. Enjoy your day.